So um, we have been in a uh, conversation now for the last several weeks, and we're actually going to wrap it up next week. Um, a conversation I've entitled uh, Signs of Life, and the idea behind this is uh, our district superintendent, the Methodist district superintendent, Carlo Rappinett, said from his perspective, uh, having looked at a lot of different churches in his career and particularly now as the district superintendent, he thinks of these as kind of like when you go to the doctor and they tell you your pulse or the, your blood pressure, that these are the, the vital signs that he is concerned about, that churches have these different aspects um, and that these are the things that he would monitor to understand what is the health of a congregation. So we've been looking at it for some time, and uh, the the bulletin, uh, the the program has an insert, and there's an outline of the of the message today. But at the very top, it says signs of life, and these are the ones that Carlo has has um, identified: engage, welcome, disciple, risk, call, and connect. And we're still talking about call today, uh, as we were last week. Risk, we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, uh, defer until the fall. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. Um, and then we'll wrap up this series in um, uh, next week's message on connection. So um, uh, just to, to kind of recap, and these messages are all online, what we've, what we've seen is that engagement means uh, being the church out in the world, that, that God never intended the church to be confined to buildings like this. He wanted us to be out in the world, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our uh, neighborhoods, even in our homes. But uh, what we learned is he doesn't want us to begin by telling people about Jesus. Instead, he wants us to build relationships. He wants us to bring healing into those relationships and then to tell people about Jesus. And if we do that, uh, what we learned is that sometimes people are going to have questions. They're going to say, well, you know, I like what you're telling me, but what about this? What about that? What about some other thing? And the the strategy that the scriptures come to us is to simply say, you know, if we know the answer, tell them the answer. But um, but if we don't know the answer, or if we're not sure about the answer, to say, look, come and see. And so so the the scriptures tell us, come and see. And in order for that to work, the church has a role, which is to uh, welcome people, to treat them as if we cared about them as much as you care about them, the people that you've got this relationship with. And so the best way to do that in order to honor God is to uh, welcome people lavishly and extravagantly. Jesus said he was going to watch how we do this and he would treat the way we we uh, uh, welcome strangers as if we were welcoming him. So the best strategy for us is to be overboard, to, to try and outdo ourselves in terms of how we welcome people. So we've looked at that. And then we looked at discipling. The problem with discipling is that uh, churches can sometimes say, "I'm great. It's great you're here. I'm glad that you can help me out. We're trying to get a kids ministry, or we're trying to we're trying to have mu- music on Sundays, or we have computers that don't always work." Um, and I'm so glad you're here. And there's things you can do, but that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. That what Jesus wants churches to do is to make disciples, and so our focus should be first what. Can the church do to help you become the person you want to be, the person that Christ wants you to be, and then worry about what you can do for us? And churches can sometimes get that backwards. So we looked at discipling, and um, uh, there are a number of spiritual disciplines that we talked about. And then last week, we talked about, okay, now that we've got things in the right order, now that we're talking about discipleship first and then serving, what can we say about serving? And what we saw is that serving in the church is something that all Christians are called to do. That, that Jesus says that we should be like him, and he came not to be served, but to serve. And, and what we heard last week is that the, 
the pyramid of success, the, the, the ladder that you want to climb to the top of actually goes downward, that the, the pinnacle of the pyramid is at the bottom. And so Jesus commends us to serve in the church. And the role of people like me, people like our ruling elders, is to be outfitters, to help you become uh, equipped to do the kind of ministry that God's calling you to. So that's what we looked at last week. And today um, we're going we're gonna to talk about how you do that or, or areas you can serve. But if you have to leave early, if you want the, the cliff notes, I'll tell you the short answer is just try something. And... Um, uh, we, we, we heard that last week. Just do it. And, uh, the danger there in a lot of people's heads is, well, I did it and then I found myself doing it for six years or 16 years. And so I will give you pre-advanced clearance. You can quit. So just do it and just stop doing it. Maybe the reason you should stop doing it is because you, you figured out this is really not what you're called to do. Um, but maybe the reason you should quit is because it's what the church is not called to do, that a ministry that worked well in one season in the life of the church is no longer the ministry the church needs to be focused on. So for whatever reason, um, don't feel like a ministry has to be a lifetime thing. Um, sometimes it can feel that way. You feel like, well, no one else will do it, um, so I guess I'm stuck with it. And that's not what the church is supposed to be about. So, so that's what we talked about last week. Today we're going to talk about uh, suppose you want a, a, a better strategy than kind of the shotgun technique, right? The shotgun technique is just pick something up, try that, and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, try something else, and try something else, and try something else, until you finally stumble onto the thing that that you are, in fact, called to do, uh, which is valid, and you can do that. But if you'd like to kind of kind of cut to the chase, get there quicker, is there a strategy you can do to get there quicker? And the answer is yes, there is. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got the scriptures... Um, we're going to be looking at a passage from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And um, the thing that Paul is is keen to to communicate before he tells them the answer, here's where you can serve in the church, here's the way you know where to serve in the church. Before he does that, he says, we have to be clear on one thing, though. You don't serve in the church because it's a requirement. You know, you can go to heaven if you never serve a, a moment in the church. And, and we actually have... A great example of that, um, the, the thief on the cross next to Jesus. He never did a thing in his church, but Jesus assured him that he would go to heaven. So you don't have to serve in the church to go to heaven. But most of us aren't planning to die in the next few minutes like that thief on the cross. Most of us have got a, a life in front of us, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And what Paul is saying is this is the answer to that question. Not because you have to, but because you get to, because... Not because you want to get to heaven when you die, but because you want to experience heaven now. And because Jesus has connected us back to God, we can experience God, and this is the place we do it. Like we heard in the story about Nehemiah, that as we are attuned to what God is calling us to do, we find out the place that God will lean in to our lives, and we will experience God's power because we're aligned with what God wants us to achieve. So, Paul says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, God has already saved you. The whole first uh, 11 chapters of this book, God saved you. Everything else is, what do you do now? Um, uh, Knowing that you don't have to do any of it, but if you want to, if you want to experience where God is going to take you from here, this is now up to you. But prior to this, God's done it just as a gift. So he says, in in light of the, the mercies of God, what should you do? He says, present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw in the paper, there was an article about what kind of worship is acceptable to God. I found that ironic because sitting here in the bulletin, the only part of our presentation today that's still working um, is the answer from Paul, where he says, what is your spiritual worship? What is the worship that pleases God? And the answer is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this this term that Paul uses to a, to an ancient Jewish or ancient pagan culture, that would have been very clear. What do you do if God has done something? Well, first of all, what do you do if you want God to do something for you? Well, you put your money on the table and say, God, I'm going to buy an ox or I'm going to buy a goat. I'm going to offer a sacrifice to you, and then you'll do something for me. And he says, well, first of all, God has already done something for you. You don't have to pay for that. That's just a gift from God. But then there was typically in the ancient world a response. Okay, God, you know, Jupiter or whoever did what I wanted. Um, I got good crops this year. What do I do now? Well, I give something to Jupiter. I sacrifice an ox to Jupiter or whatever it was. This is the way that people thought in those days. And he said, he said, God doesn't need any more dead animals. He said, the whole purpose of the sacrificial system was to point to Jesus. And that is done. So we don't need any more dead animals. God doesn't want any more dead animals. What he would like is a living sacrifice. And he says, so present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says, why do you do this? He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul means this in two ways. What is the will of God? He says, he says, the world will try to conform you. The world will try to press you into a shape. You know, you're never going to get ahead. It's always been that way. Nothing's ever going to change. This is just the way it is. Uh, just get used to it. That's the, the shape the world will try to put you in. He says, that's being conformed to the world. And he says, but you can have a different perspective. And he says, the way you change your mind, paradoxically, is to use your body. He says, it is by using your body that you change your mind. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Part of, partly what he means by that is what Nehemiah discovered, is that there are things that break his heart, and they also break God's heart. And as Nehemiah said, well, I'm going to proceed in that assumption, that I'm going to do some work, I'm going to change what I'm doing so that I can help God's people in this area, that as I do that, that God leaned in, that God made things happen, he opened up doors, he, he caused... Nehemiah to have more success than Nehemiah had any right to expect. And so Nehemiah tells how this thing that broke my heart, it turns out I discovered that God would be at work in the things I did there. So partly he's saying, discover what it is that God wants. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So Nehemiah is one aspect of that. But I think the other thing he's talking about is us. And I think we we shy away from reading Romans that way, that he's talking about transformation. What is God planned for you? What does God want you to become? You remember a couple of weeks we talked about how our life in Christ means that we're connected to Jesus in a way that is like uh, nothing that we're used to on earth. The closest thing, the closest analogy I could come up with was uh, as if, Somehow you found yourself, your, your, your brain was transplanted into the body of an Olympic swimmer. That, that you now have capabilities you never dreamed you have. 
that you are connected to Christ, and in the same way, you have the ability to, to have that Christ life in you. Well, how do you find that out? Well, the answer is by trying it. You, you find out if you, you're an Olympic swimmer by jumping in the pool and taking a few laps and seeing how that works. And if you suddenly are, everyone's going, wow, who is that? Then it is working. And if it's not, well, that's not, that's not happening. So, so, uh, we're called to be like Christ. And the way we do that, he says, how do we discern what is the will of God? Not just for the world, not just for the gates of Jerusalem, which Nehemiah fixed, but for ourselves. How do we discern what is God's will for us? And the answer is by trying it and finding out. So now with all that lead in, Paul says, here's how you do that. Here's how you go quickly to the task that God is going to bless you. And he says, by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how do you find out where God is going to bless you as you serve in the church? He says, think with sober judgment. And he begins... How do you, how do you think with sober judgment? What does it mean? He means be realistic. Look at yourself. But the first thing he starts with is gifting. He says, he says, for as in one body we have many members, not all the members are of the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. He says everybody's different, that you are probably not like the person sitting next to you, that you're going to find that there are things that you can do better and that they can do better. And in fact, that's the reason that earlier I said, if it's not working for you, quit. Because you may be getting in the way of somebody else who can do that better. And that they're itching for a chance to find out that that's the place that God has really gifted them. So we are a body. We have different parts. You know, my fingers are all different. My hands are all different, both different. I only have two. Um, that, that we are like, we're like a body and we have different gifts. So, if it's if this is not your gift, don't do that. But then he says, what what are gifts? And he gives some examples here. He says we have gifts that differ in proportion to the grace given to us, prophecy and prophet in proportion to faith, and so forth. So, what does he mean by a gift? The best way I can describe what Paul means by a gift is telling you about one I don't have. I I, I am a pastor, but I really lack the gift of pastoral care. I think most pastors kind of line up either they're a they're a, a caring pastoral person, or they're a leader person, or maybe a teacher person, that you see people line up in a couple of areas. And because, because we work in churches and all those, all those skills are needed, we do what we can in the areas where we lack. And I had a chance once to meet somebody who had the gift of pastoral care. He was a compassionate person. And, um, it was in the, the high desert when I was ministering there. It was a small community. And the, the hospital couldn't afford a chaplain. And so all of the ministers in the community were encouraged by their peers who also did this to uh, take a, a time every month to serve as a chaplain in the hospital. And so I did. I signed up and I got trained by Grover Fletcher, who you will not meet. But, um, but I've decided when somebody comes to me in the hospital and tells me I have a terminal diagnosis, I want it to be Grover Fletcher because I saw somebody who has the gift of compassion. And when you see somebody who has a spiritual gift, you will recognize it. Because what it does is it makes it look easy. 
Oh my goodness, I just realized. Let me fill in the blanks. So just do it, stop doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this. Okay, to change your mind, offer God your body, and it will feel like a sacrifice. You will have to deny yourself. But this is the kind of worship that God wants. All right, now we're talking about gifts. So, so what are your gifts? Your gifts are the places where God makes it look easy, where God makes you look like something special. Grover worked with a number of pastors, but he stood out. He had an amazing gift for for um, compassion. And if there's an area of your life where where you say to yourself, you know, I don't know why they're struggling here because I don't have that problem, that could very well be the area of spiritual giftedness. So so think to yourself, is there a place in my life where God makes it look easy for me and I see other people who are struggling in that area? Maybe that's the place where God wants to bless you in that area. So Paul lists some of the different spiritual gifts. He talks about uh, ministry and teaching, exhortation, um, giving. He talks about leader. Um, and there's some questions in the program that will help you kind of unpack some of the details. Um, and uh, uh, so, so those are some. Uh, but ask yourself, is there a place where God makes it look easy? Let me give you the, the second thing. There may not. Maybe you haven't discovered what your spiritual gift is yet. The next thing is ability. What are you capable of? And I've got another story here. Back in the, back in the summer, I went to a conference and I was standing in line with a guy who, you know, kind of were talking as the line moves forward. And I said, I said, what do you do? And he said he was a developer of a church website. And I thought, I wish our church had a developer for its website because I don't think it's changed in two years. So I was thinking to myself and I asked him what he did and he, how he did it. Um, you know, thinking maybe it's something we could use, and it's not, because it's something called Ruby on Rails. And I know just enough about it to be impressed, because that's a very hot job right now, um, that this church could afford a Ruby on Rails developer. And I started quizzing him, and um, it's a technology for, for uh, how you make e-commerce sites and stuff like that. I have no doubt he could get a job in a lot of places. He lives in Dallas. There's all kinds of jobs he could get there. But... Um, he's working for a church doing web development, but he was feeling a little constrained and he felt like, you know, all I'm doing is developing the web and I'm going, what are you kidding? Go to your pastor and tell him, cause he doesn't know that you could do this, this, and I listed some of the ways that, that a programmer could, 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 uh, bless a congregation. And I know some of them because I say to myself, if I was still any good as a programmer, I could do that. Or I wish I knew somebody who was good in that area and they could do it. I ask, I say that to myself a dozen times a day. Um, and uh, I'll say it again tomorrow when I start sorting out whatever happened to our computer this week. So I, I went to a, a conference just in, in August and I heard Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, she's the the co-leader, the co-president of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And she was talking about, you know, they have billions of dollars they are committing to to, to work in different uh, uh, emphases. And she and, and the, the interviewer said, what's the biggest problem you've discovered as you move from the, the business world to the nonprofit world? And she said data. She said data. That in the business world, you could always go get marketing data. You could find out how big the market was. You could find out what the problem is. You could find that stuff out. And he says, she says, she says, right now, you go into a problem. What's the biggest problem in your community? What's the biggest problem in Africa? What's the biggest problem? 
How do you solve it? What resources are on the ground to solve it? There's no data. And so I sent that to, to this, this new friend of mine in Dallas. I said, you know, it's not just your local pastor. It's Melinda Gates thinks that this is a big problem for nonprofits. And he has the skills to do it. So I would ask you, what do you do? What do you have the capability to do? What is it you're good at? I mean, not, not necessarily supernaturally gifted at, but what just, what, what, what are you capable of? Because if you talk to me, if you talk to the ruling elders in this church, I bet we know something where you could actually make a huge difference, where you could be a Nehemiah. So what are you capable of? What are your, what are your abilities? And then finally, passion. What do you care about? You know, Nehemiah cared about the city of Jerusalem, about the people who were suffering because they were at the mercy of their neighbors. They didn't have gates. They didn't have walls. What do you care about? What brings tears to your eyes? What What is that place where you find yourself suddenly wiping tears away? Or if you're a guy, the place where suddenly the room got dusty and you need to get something out of your eye. What breaks your heart? I found a video. There's there's a pastor I know, or I know of, I never met him, um, in L.A. I've been listening to him for years, I've been admiring his great preacher. Um, his name is Hank Fortner, and some of you may have seen his story in People magazine a couple of weeks ago. He grew up in a in a household where there were, I guess, he had two biological siblings and I think eight adoptive siblings. And over the course of many years, his family had 36 foster children. And he talked about what an experience that was, and how he was able to to have so many great brothers and sisters, and what a what a good experience that was. But the experience of playing with his brother, the the kid he thought was his brother, you know, on the swing set in the backyard one morning, and the next morning finding out that that they'd taken him away because the way the foster care system works. And out of that pain, out of that, what brings tears to his eyes? He said. You know, the problem with adoption is it's so expensive. It can cost tens of thousands of dollars to adopt someone. So he said, wouldn't it be great if we had a crowdfunding system for bringing the money for adoption together with adoptive families? And he looked around it and there wasn't one. And he said, well, I'm going to build one. And so he created a system, he created a program, uh, an organization called Adopt Together. And He's brought um, eight, $8 million and 2,000 families together so far, and he just started a couple of years ago. And the reason he did it is because the pain that he experienced as a child when his brother was taken away by the foster care system. What brings tears to your heart? What brings tears to your eyes? What breaks your heart? Because these are the areas that God is calling you to serve in. Not because you need to, to get into heaven, but because this is the place God wants to bless you as he blesses the world. I said that me and the other ruling leaders, uh, ruling elders of the church can help you. Our job is to be outfitters, to help you discover the place for ministry. Um, this is a book um, by Eric Reese. It's uh, Finding and Fulfilling Your Unique Purpose for Life. And They've got an acronym too, but it's two extra letters, so I saved you. The sermon would have been much longer if I'd gone through all five. 
So um, these are spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experience. I will say about experience, if you're, there are experiences that disqualify you from some ministries. If your experience is such that you won't pass a criminal background test, then you can't work in our kids' ministry. You know, so obviously there's some places where experience matters. But these three, I think, are the key. What are your gifts? What are the places that God makes it look easy for you? What are your abilities? What do you know how to do? Because you may think that's not church, that's not a church ability. Well, talk to a church person. Because maybe, like my webmaster friend in Dallas, you may find out there's all kinds of ways that your ability could help people in your church. And finally, what are your passions? What breaks your heart? Because it might break God's heart too. Let's pray. Loving God, one of the mysteries of the gospel is that you saved the world through your son, Jesus, but you call us to be part of that work of salvation in your church. So we pray for the ministry of the church, and we pray for each of us who you have called to be ministers, for the leaders whose ministry is outfitting, and for all the people who are trying to determine where do I go? How do I serve? We pray you'd give us wisdom, you'd give us courage, give us soft and tender hearts. All these things, Lord, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.